Welcome to Living with a Disability, No Big Deal. This podcast is for people who want to learn how to thrive with a disability. It is also designed to share insights for those who have friends or family with a disability. Brad Gabrielson, our host, was born with cerebral palsy and uses a wheelchair for mobility. He is a North Dakota native and believes life is about managing challenges with understanding, mental toughness, and determination. We're going to welcome on the program today a individual that has a very unique set of disabilities, plural. Uh, this will be part one of a two-part series, and Jennifer will tell us a little bit about what she deals with on a day-to-day basis uh, with the different disabilities that she has. Um, so she is a very unique in that manner, and there is not another individual that has this combination of disabilities uh, all in one body. So we're grateful to have Jennifer with us today, and we look forward to discussing uh, the things that might uh, be an inspiration to others. And we look forward to just talking a little bit about what she goes through uh, on a daily basis. So we hope you enjoy the program today. Welcome to another episode of Living with the Disability No Big Deal podcast. Today is our guest, Greg Moore. And you got a guest, Greg. Who is it? Well, her, her name is Jennifer. Jennifer has agreed to come on and tell us a little bit about herself. She, she is from Minnesota. I don't know originally. She'll have to tell us that. But And the issues that she deals with, uh, without getting to what those issues are, uh, we're going to welcome Jennifer to the podcast. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me today. Indeed. Now, are you from Minnesota originally? Yes. I started here. I've been here all but one year of my life. I lived in Boulder, Colorado for a year, but otherwise in the Twin Cities for the most part and cabining on the weekends like a, um, when I was younger. And so got got to have a nice taste of the outdoor sort of focus of life as well as um, having some of the nice arts and arts and that kind of snazzier stuff that you don't always get further out. I was um, I was a professional dancer. I trained here. Um, so I trained primarily in ballet, but I can do multiple styles. I was an athlete for close to 30 years. Uh, I did get to do, uh, I got to dance um, in a, a number of professional places. And then I got to do my real dream, which was to open a dance and theater school. So I got to work with thousands of kids over time and help them develop kind of their sense of self as well as their ability to operate their bodies and how to artistically express through that movement. Um, as, as my health sort of changed, then I changed the type of work I was doing because working out six or seven hours a day was getting to be a little bit much. Uh, so I actually sort of accidentally fell into business consulting because I had known of a few other people just sort of like in the 
my external network where I did, where they would call and just say like, hey, I'm going to, I'm opening this whatever retail shop or I'm starting this business. Could you help me get that started? And so I ended up doing that for a number of years, but my health continued to get worse. So I had to try and adjust again. It became pretty untenable for me to try to work regularly. So what I have been doing now is I'm working with uh, one of the hospital systems in the area on their patient advisory board. And then I've worked from that board onto a few other boards and a couple of other affiliated partners to try and give a professional voice of the patient sort of perspective into what they're doing, including how they handle people with physical disabilities or mobility challenges and people who are getting recurrently ill and have a high usage of their system. Um, sort of in the middle of that, I went back to school and studied strategic decisions and enterprise risk management at Stanford and did that with an emphasis in healthcare, which was really helpful because a lot of the things I didn't realize I had been doing suddenly became a lot more clear, like, oh, I do user design and user integration, whether it's digital or it's analog. That's, I help make this, like systems aren't supposed to be something we serve, they're supposed to serve us. And when the system may have worked originally, may not continue to work. So how do you transition it? So that's sort of a little bit about me. I don't know how, if that's, if those are some of the questions within the question of who I am, but yeah. I've kind of moved on a trajectory from business owner to different kind of business owner to consulting in a sort of a, what, what I could do with what I had is sort of where, where I am now. Wow. That, uh, is a busy lady. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> that's crazy. Professional dancing. That's, uh, that's wow. I mean, that's a lot right there to have just as one, uh, one life to be able to do that kind of profession and then to start the school, the dance school, Brad, which would be kind of similar to you starting the dog school in a way, but, um, and then to work with, like you said, so many different people, kids or whatever. Yeah. That, uh, that you could uh, teach and uh, was more than just about dancing. So, and then, uh, yeah, that's, that's neat about the business consulting and stuff. I think that's really interesting. Cause that, uh, I think that a lot of the down pitfalls of uh, businesses in their first year is probably because they just didn't really know what to expect and getting caught off guard on a lot of things. Yeah, there's that shiny new object syndrome. Like they're working on opening it and then they get another idea within their idea, right? You have to be really conscientious and disciplined about what you choose to do when. So even though um, it isn't always popular to say, I, <laughs> I don't think you're ready to do that yet. Not never, but you know, that's okay. I, I don't have any problem being the heavy or the bold. <laughs> mm. I plan to have a business. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah yeah what are you yeah what are your projections for you know expenses and whatever and uh, then being on the boards of those uh i was thinking uh, that's got to be difficult to be a patient uh like rep on a board uh and you have to really would have to be in tune with i guess with what the procedures are how it relates to working with the physical disabled and i don't know that just seems like a really challenging uh position that uh you'd really have to be tuned in with the current procedures and stuff are you know to be able to critique or change or whatever so right and it's and it's certainly there's more of an emphasis on trying to center care around the patient at this point than there ever was before but it's it's like the combination of of you have to have a a good understanding of liability and insurance and uh, union contracting, like who can do what role, what they can't do. And you need to know um, sort of their strategy overall, what they want to do. Like what is what is their big goal that they want to accomplish, not just with a procedure, but with any, <laughs> with anything, you know, maybe like all cardiology, we want to see if we can get 80% of the people who are supposed to have this, um, you know, not a maintenance check. What do you call it? I can't think of the word all of a sudden. You know, like you're supposed to go in and you have this kind of testing done and that kind of testing done. You do it regularly. Um, oh, sure. Yeah, I don't know why it's slipping or vaccines or whatever. How are we, you know, what are we going to do to make sure we can get as many of the patients who need that service in, in a way that, that they're going to come in and then they'll follow through on whatever else if there's labs you know, just kind of watching that. So it's like the whole life cycle of what happens with a patient in their system. And then also being able to advocate for when that doesn't work. Like telehealth, for example, has been a, it's unfortunate how we got that speed, but it's been there all along. And, you know, Medicare paying for CMS, paying for like the reimbursement rate that, most doctors don't even touch you when you do go in. So is it really necessary? I'm physically there. Not all the time, some of the time, obviously, but you know, those, those kinds of things, how can you make it easier for people who have a hard time getting here? Um, something as simple as if you're in the hospital and you need assistance going to the restroom right now, like pretty much any hospital is you press the button and eventually someone will come by, <laughs> which will work fine if you have use of your arms and or if you you know but if you don't like what's the plan they have the one keypad or if you can't speak even if you can press the button like if you have your i have um a patient that i'm aware of that was in for like three four weeks he had some surgery done on his throat there was no way for him to communicate what he needed so like little things like that communication piece isn't disability friendly in a lot of ways, but it's also ubiquitous, right? So everyone pretty much has the same device. We're going to transition a little bit now to uh, we into the uh, into I guess the meat 
of the issues. We like mm -hmm. to just peel back the onion a little bit and find out, you know, what people actually are, are dealing with on a daily basis or whatever. Now, when we had talked initially, you explained that you had uh, a couple things going on at least. And I was not familiar with, you know, the majority of them that you described and was not aware of them. Can you explain maybe a little bit to our listeners of what actually the issues are that uh, they could understand and kind of sure. relate to what's going on? Um, I, like you said, I have multiple rare diagnostics. So um, apparently I've been told, um, including being seen at the Mayo and their whole team, that they're not sure how I'm alive that nobody, like they've not seen anybody that has this constellation of symptoms. So, uh, or diagnostics. So one of the things I have is a primary carnitine deficiency. The very short meaning of what that is, is that I can't digest fat, right? So if there's, there's three macronutrients, fats, proteins, and carbohydrates, right? So one of those major groups, I have an incomplete ability to to take the nutrients out of it and conjugate it into something useful instead of it staying in my system and turning into ammonia, putting me into a coma, having a heart attack and dying. So the good news is I can take a free form amino acid that's prescribed and that seems to keep everything working pretty well for that, but it impacts things like if some days I might get kind of run down or like a cold, something like that. I have to treat that like somebody who doesn't have this. I need to treat that like I need to be at home, in bed, like drinking regularly, doing that, you know, or hydrating, I should say. <laughs> hydrating. <laughs> in bed is pretty I mean, much drinking is what I do generally when I get a cold. <laughs> It's all whiskey, I believe. Well, that's no. what I do. I must be doing the right thing then when I get a cold. But, but yeah. So it's it's it means that I I need to live if it's just this. I need to live more consciously about what what I might run across any given day. So like when I was younger, and I'll just give it like as an example. My sister would get a cold. I didn't get a cold. I got like you know, I'd have a fever and I'm going to end up needing to go to the doctor and something's going to be infected, right? Because it wasn't diagnosed until I was later, like almost, uh, I think I was about 32 and I ended up figuring out this diagnosis. The reason I found it is I, I had an atypical presentation to start with. So, and it's, while it's there, because I didn't, I don't have a, a lot of fat in my diet. I, I can't really eat meat. I never could. Um, I can't eat a lot of dairy that already cuts out a ton of what's in most people's diet. Yeah. Um, so it's part of why I ended up still being here because I didn't, I couldn't eat that stuff. And then another one is I haven't, uh, it's also a metabolism disorder. I have an atypical incomplete late onset transcarb, uh, ornithine transcarbamylase deficiency which is an inability to digest proteins without taking free form amino acids. Wow. So, so things like if I were to do something like if I were to 
try something like the Atkins diet, for example. I think a lot of people are familiar with what that is. It's usually a really heavy meat eating scenario and no carbs. Like I would not do well with that. My whole body would totally revolt. And again, it has the same um, sort of outcome is it, it would put me into a coma. I would have a heart attack and die because my body would build up ammonia instead of being able to conjugate it. So, mm. so you didn't find out about the, the uh, so on and so forth carnitine diagnosis mm-hmm. until you were in your 30s? Mm-hmm. And it, it will all tie together kind of, but, the, but part of it is because, <laughs> part of it is literally because I just didn't feel good when I ate certain things. And it's Mm. not like diet controlled in the way that diabetes can be, you know, what you eat has that big of an impact. It's literally a, it's a conjugation inability. It's a transporter Mm -hmm. problem in my mitochondria. So for, (laughs) for your looking up pleasure, it's not worth going into the detail just for the sake of this. It just means that I can't do, I can't do things like, you know, just run around and try random stuff. I, or I couldn't, I don't eat at anybody's house unless I make it and bring it there just because if there's any sort of crossover or more than I think I can handle, I can have a pretty good sized revolt. <laughs> so, cause that, that didn't stick out again, like, because I wasn't pressing the gas. Like had I continued to try to eat like what everybody around me ate, right? We're in the Midwest, meat, potatoes, mostly meat, potatoes, cheese. That's pretty much everything. And other than the potatoes, all of that is really, really dangerous for me to just eat and mask. So, So it literally probably saved my life. Even when I was a baby, like when, um, with bottles and stuff like that. My my mom swears that if it wasn't for Kool-Aid and Pedialyte and donuts, like she's not sure I would still be here. Obviously a little bit facetious with the with the comments, but um well was nope, she aware she of uh, just as experimented with the uh, stuff. I'm the only person in my family that has had that up until my son was born. Um and so nobody knew what it was. They just thought I was picky and fussy and, mm. but I would get really sick. So there was a bunch of different formulas they tried with me. And I just, I was just a big vomiting mess. Super fun for oh everybody, my. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> that had to be a, a challenge. Yeah. Your and then got it too now? my son, when, after he was born, uh, he had low carnitine. So while they didn't give him the, the full diagnoses because he was still pretty young, he did have to take supplemental carnitine until he was, I think, close to eight or 10. And then they started to try and wean him off of it to see if his body actually had the, had the missing mechanism or if it was just low because mine was low and he was still, well, he, you know, he was still, yeah. So, but it was, I mean, that's, he had a more obvious presentation. Usually if you have an amino acid disorder like that, what it looks like is when they're, when 
kids are really young, which is like if you if you know the heel stick, right? When the when babies are born, they poke their heel. Now they oh, check yeah. for all of these amino acid disorders. Before they were only checking for phenol PKU, phenol can can't think of the word right off top of my head right now, but but had they done that with me, they would have seen this, but they never did. And just because it isn't as severe as someone else may have the exact same deficiency, I, I apparently muddled through and, um, and now my son, it does not need to take it. So that was exciting. <laughs> One last thing. But... Well, that's good. <laughs> that's not the end of the list. Wait, there's more. No, there's there's more for sure, uh, Brad. But, uh, <laughs> what do you eat? Uh, I eat mostly vegetables. I can make almost anything out of cauliflower, and I'm not mm. kidding. And I know that that might not sound right. I love but... cauliflower. <laughs> cauliflower is good. I can make cheese sauce out of it. I can make cakes out of it. I can oh make not, like that you would that you would like. Oh, <laughs> not yeah. like oh, that's cute. What mm. Mm, I. I don't like yeah. things that taste like rabbit food either because I'm not a rabbit. <laughs> you know, yeah, so. yeah. It's like people are like, wait a minute. Yeah. But, uh, so do you eat a lot of lettuce and like spinach and stuff? I have to, yes. I have to cook it quite a bit because of some of the other things that have the other diagnostics I have. It makes just, mm. it's really hard for me to cook, eat a lot of raw anything. Lettuce. Well, mm. you see him grill it on the, on the, some of the cooking shows every once in a while. Bobby Flay used to grill a lot of, like, uh, you know, you take a half grilled a head of romaine lettuce. or something and, and dive and, <laughs> yeah, like, grill it. <laughs> that seems, I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna bypass that steak on the coals. I'm going to go ahead and throw a head of lettuce on there and really <laughs> live it up tonight. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. it just seems odd that, you know, I'm, you have to be creative, you know. I mean, you probably are watching the Food Network to get ideas and stuff, you know, so. Well, yeah, I had to start early. If you cannot eat meat, wheat, or dairy, you're going to have to either do pretty much nothing or you're going to have to get really skilled at making big flavors come out of unexpected things and the preparation of how that's going to happen. It'll be different than it'll be different than you ever imagined, I promise. <laughs> but Well, there's a lot of protein oh, sources fine. outside of meat, though, too. Can you eat, like, beans and... Yep. I can eat beans mm. and nuts. Oh, oh that's I good. I can eat eggs, but I go back and forth on that. Like sometimes they freak me out a little bit. But that's just my that's there's no reason for that. So that's why I'm like, doesn't matter how I feel about it. It's here and it's available and you can have it. So mm-hmm. you know, don't be fussy. <laughs> but that those kinds of things are also I think what gives me like it gives my head a nice project to work on like I and my kids are recent like they're like late teens early 20s so they have a lot of friends who had different food allergies growing up and they always came over and they I've been told by a number of them like anaphylactic shock which I do have from a few things uh that's another fun fact right, right. <laughs> like I make something without meat, wheat, dairy, soy, eggs, sesame, strawberries, and what was the other one? Oh my God. I don't know. But right, but I'm going to have 20 people over 
and I want everyone safe. And so if you start from, okay, okay, I, now I know it's not on the list. Like these are a no. So how can I make this thing into, you know? So I find it to be, it's not that it isn't exhausting, <laughs> but, but no. I kind of like it. And it's, it's sort of like, uh, if you can like the work you have to do, it makes all of it a lot easier to, to get into. And because I don't really get to dance anymore, I think it's a new way for my mind to be creative. Well, it definitely is exhausting. I mean, I'm exhausted. You know, um, I get home from work and it's like, honey, I'm going to make some supper. But now I got to worry about all that other, uh, those other people and stuff. It would be like, it would be overwhelming almost. So, um, so just to kind of keep the, uh, the listeners uh, up to date here, we've got the, uh, the, uh, the carnitine, the, the protein um, thing where you have to take amino acids. That was the first one, right? And then right. what, did we go on to number two already? Was that the, uh, yeah, first, you had touched the on that? The, yeah, the primary carnitine deficiency is the inability to conjugate fats. Fat, the, that was the deal. Fat, can't conjugate fat in the diet. So then, uh, okay. And then the um, ornithine transcarbamylase deficiency is about the inability to conjugate protein. Hmm. So that's really the two key building blocks of life right there. <laughs> two of three yeah yeah um, yeah by that whole pizza light kool-aid donut diet worked so well for me as a child <laughs> wow all right well um, uh, what else you got going on here then i have a primary immunodeficiency wow. which if you're you've been around on the planet long enough you'll you may recognize as boy in the bubble disease and that mm. is where I'd mentioned earlier, like my sister might get a cold, but I'm going to get like bacterial pneumonia, whooping cough. I'm going to get <laughs> strep throat, double ear infections, and it'll keep going for a while until I can get it under control. So any kind of, any kind of situation at this point, like if I go to the dentist or if I need a filling, something in my body is going to get infected. It's not like a, hmm, I, it will be okay. It's just that there's that must that disruption and an and an um, introduction of different bacteria in really <laughs> kind of any way that that you slice it. If you're gonna like, I had a biopsy done the other day, and I said, uh, it was a Friday. I'm like, you think can we just like pre give me some antibiotics? If nothing happens, I'm not gonna take them, but. And she's like, oh, no, that doesn't, I mean, that doesn't happen. That, that, oh. Yeah, that totally happened. Totally happened. I had to go back like oh, multiple God. times. And I was like, if the urgent care wasn't able to do X or Y, then I was going to have to go to the emergency room. Oh, and the exposure in an emergency room for somebody like me, who then is also already ill. <laughs> like, if I'm not ill, it's dangerous for me to just go hang out someplace like that. If I am ill, it's like, oh. And all the defenses are already busy. So, you know, it just leaves me really vulnerable. So the kinds of things like uh, that everyone is now globally aware of, like staying away from people, don't go where it's busy, wash your hands all the time. You know, if you feel at all bad, stay home, all that kind of stuff. That's how I've been living for a long time. Like as long as I remember, even before that was diagnosed which 
<laughs> Before, I, I, yeah. I, I, I feel I feel for you, man, because um, like I have to get some dental work done, and I'm not looking forward to that. But um, man, <laughs> you got you got a lot of stuff going on that I don't know how you survive. Well, but, that is pure gumption, my friend. I I feel so lucky to be here and being aware of how many times I have been literally on that edge of "Mm, not going to be here. Like it just, it just makes me double down. Like how much more might I be able to do? How, in what ways can I be useful? It's, it's kind of exhausting. But also, I'm so much, I have so much more awareness of everything, like how something gets set up in the first place. Like, have you, if, have either of you ever been to Disney World? No. Uh, how about you, Brad? Nope. They have a way of moving people through their park, like the traffic. Right, how you're going to go from one place to the other. Theoretically, nobody knows that they're going from place to place, right? They're deciding in the moment, oh, I'll go here. But the way that they engineered the park, it feels like there's a continuous flow of traffic everywhere you go, which is very opposite of like, I don't know if either of you have ever been to the Minnesota State Fair in particular, is notoriously like, like, like you are Shakopee, packed. Like Shakopee or uh, no, the State Fair. State Fair. Oh, the State Fair. I would like to go there once. I would like to go there. Minnesota State Fair. Yeah, it's quite a deal. Yeah, yeah it's it's one of the biggest in the country. <laughs> uh, the State um, Fair. That's got to be a melee of, of germs and stuff. So is that oh. uh, is that an autoimmune disease then? That uh, immune deficiency? No, an autoimmune. An auto. I'm glad you asked that question because a lot of people kind of put them into one. Autoimmune means your body is attacking itself in some way, and it's as a result of something being inflamed, then it's like, oh, well, we're going to be this upset. We're going to get all of you. And that's autoimmune. I have an immune system deficiency, meaning like I, I have not enough cells in the right spots to fight something new coming at me from the outside. So it's so just like, a, a my, lack of the, uh, of the right mm-hmm. type of, uh, like I have some of these cells, I've got a lot of these cells, not enough of these cells. Uh, we don't even know what that is yet. Uh, this doesn't make any sense. This is weird. That looks pretty good. So that's kind of what my immune system looks like. <laughs> so there's no, uh, there's, uh, it's like a mystery of, uh, of what caused it or where it came from or? Yes. All of these things, they don't know how they could have occurred or why I would have them and that they're not because these are all kinds of, you know, congenital types of familial, you know, if your, your parents have it, you'd have it kind of problem. Oh, but, it's not genetic or anything like that. Yeah, it's genetic. So, yeah. Um, but apparently, I just, you know, got lucky or whatever you want to call it um, and got a lot of things that just don't like some days I feel pretty good 
and then I'd like to do a lot. And my my mom has always called that the danger zone. She says, don't don't forget that just because you don't feel awful doesn't mean that you're like good to go and can run at full speed. <laughs> so because you might pay for it. Oh later. yeah, I'll definitely pay for it. Yeah, you'll have like to make even, up for it. Yep. Like even when I was younger, I had like if I was up past ten o'clock two days in a row, I would get sick. Like, what? oh yeah, nope. Body has very specific regimen it likes, <laughs> and I think of it like a light box, right? So there's four borders on it, and if, as long as I stay in those borders, I have a better chance of emitting light up at the top and out of the bottom, and I can shine just fine. But if I try to pretend like one of those four borders around me isn't there, then the whole thing sort of collapses. So. You're saying if you're up, like, let's say you go to the fair just for yeah. a couple of days because it's only there for so long. Right. Like, like our fair is there for four days. Yeah. Now, if, if you were there for four days and we had entertainment there and you wanted to go listen to the entertainment, you couldn't, you couldn't stay up for four days in a row because you had two great bands, you had four great bands and four nights. Yeah, that's, nope. Really? I would never... I would never make it. Even when I was younger, I knew I couldn't do that. If it wasn't going on in the middle of the day, like I used to love to go to music festivals. I, I played uh, drums in jazz combos oh. and loved doing that. And so, you know, I, I used to get to be pretty, uh, pretty active around the music scene in the Twin Cities. Mm -hmm. um, but I can't stay up late. I mean, even then it would be like, I could do one night at 11, and then I really need to kind of be back. And, you know, people used to joke about it. So like, it was so funny. And I actually ran into, this is kind of an interesting thing. I ran into a friend that I hadn't seen for like 25 years. It was a real close family friend growing up. And then, so she wasn't aware of any of this, but I was kind of telling her like what's sort of happening with my health. And she looked at me and she said, huh, all this time, we just thought you were being sort of like fussy or trying to like, She's like, you were trying to keep yourself alive. Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, I guess so. I mean, mm -hmm. I wasn't aware of it in the same way at that point. But yeah, <laughs> don't feed me. <laughs> Fun at parties, but don't feed me or keep me out late. You could write a book. <laughs> I, I, don't know if I, have the, I don't know if I have the patience to do that. I really respect that people can. But it's well, a wild so thing. And it, and it happens. <laughs> So then we have fat, protein, and the immune system. Now, is there uh, is there a, is there more to the puzzle? I know there was more, but this is a couple other minor things. This concludes part one of the uh, Jennifer story, uncharted territory of disabilities. We hope you listen to part two, which will be posted up on the podcast for Living with a Disability in two weeks. Jennifer has certainly been a great guest. Uh, when her willingness to share in some, some personal issues that she deals with on a daily basis. She's certainly an inspiration. She uh, continues her discussion with us and uh, telling us a little bit more about her story. So be sure to tune in in two weeks when we conclude our discussion with Jennifer. We certainly make sure you tune in uh, to the rest of the story, and we look forward to having you folks back. Thanks for listening.
thank you for listening to this episode of Living with a Disability, No Big Deal. Sponsored by Rolleramp, this podcast features Brad Gabrielson, who encourages everyone with a disability to live life to the fullest. Rolleramp is a global company based in North Dakota, dedicated to helping people find solutions to accessibility needs. We hope you'll join us again next time on Living with a Disability, No Big Deal.